Chapter Five of Old Rail Fence Corners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schempf. Old Rail Fence Corners by Lucy Leavenworth Wilder Morris. Chapter Five. Mr. James McMullen, eighteen forty-nine. Mr. McMullen, in his ninetieth year, says, I started from Maine by the steam cars, taking them at Augusta. As I look back now, I see what a comical train that was. But when I first saw those cars, I was overpowered. To think any man had been smart enough to make a great big thing like that, that could push itself along on the land. It seemed impossible, but there we were, going jerkily along, much faster than any horse could run. The rails were wood with an iron top, and after we had bumped more than usual, up came some of that iron through the floor. One lady was so scared that she dropped her traveling basket, and all the most sacred things of the toilet rolled out. She just covered them quickly with the edge of her big skirt and picked them up from under that. The piece of iron was in the coach, but we threw it out. We went by boat to Boston, then by rail to the Erie Canal. We were ten days on a good clean canal boat and paid five dollars for board and our ticket. I don't remember how long we were on the lakes, or what we paid. I should say two weeks. We landed at Chicago. It was an awful mud hole. The town did not look as big as Anoka. A man was sending two wagons and teams to Galena, so I hired them, put boards across for seats, and took two loads of passengers over. We got pretty stiff before we got there. I was glad to get that money as I was about strapped. I just about bought my ticket up the river. We bought tickets to St. Paul. Three of us took passage on the Yankee. She was really more of a freight than a passenger boat. She only made three trips to St. Paul that year. We bought wood along the way anywheres we could see a few sticks that some settler had cut. The Indians always came down to see us wherever we stopped. I did not take much of a fancy to them devils even then. It was so cold the fifteenth day of October that the captain was afraid that his boat would freeze in, so would go no further and dumped us in Stillwater. Cold? Well, I should say it was pretty darn cold. I'd been a sailor, so knew little about other work. On the way up I kept wondering, am I a painter, blacksmith, shoemaker, carpenter, or farmer? On voyages the sailors always got together and discussed the farm they were to have when they saw fit to retire said farm was to be a lot with a vine-wreathed bungalow on some village street having talked this question over so much with the boys i felt quite farmerfied though i never used a shovel hoe or any farm tool i said to myself i must find out what i am for once for i only have four shillings my brother-in-law borrowed this for it was agreed that he should go on to st paul as i walked along the one street in stillwater with its few houses I saw a blacksmith's shop with the smith settin' and smokin', and stopped to look things over. There were three yoke of oxen standing ready to be shod. They were used to haul square timbers. The smith asked me if I could shoe an ox, and then slung one up in the sling way off the ground. I did not see my way clear to shoe this ox, so I saw I was not a blacksmith. I could see that there were not houses enough around to make the paintin' trade last long, so gave that up too. In a little lean-to, I saw a man fixin' a pair of shoes. 
i watched him but saw nothing that looked possible to me so i said to myself surely i'm no shoemaker further i met a young man sauntering along the road and asked him about farming said he you can't raise nothing in this here country it would all freeze up besides the soil's too light well thinks i it takes money to buy a hoe anyway so i guess i'm no farmer i went up to the hotel and stayed all night my brother-in-law had left a tool chest with me i was much afraid that they would ask for board in advance but they did not in the morning the proprietor said i have a job of work and one done is that your chest i said here's the key then he said you are a carpenter i worked a little at boat building so i let him say it i worked sixteen days for him building an addition out of green timber at the end of that time he asked what i wanted for the work i did not know so he gave me twenty-five dollars in shin plasters it was grocer's bank bangor main money all of the money here was then as soon as i got it i hiked out for st anthony where i took to building in earnest i helped build the tuttle mill on the west side in fifty and fifty one tuttle moved from the east side over to the government log cabin where it was building and i boarded with them there i also built the mill at elk river the first fourth of july i was driving logs up above what is now east minneapolis we had a mill with two sash saws that is saws set in a sash settlers were waiting to grab the boards they came from the saw how long it took those saws to get through a log a mill of today would do the same work in one-tenth the time we could only saw five thousand feet a day working both saws all the time i helped build the governor ramsey which plied above the falls and up the river she was loaded with passengers each trip going to look over sites for homes i also helped build the h m rice after the railroad was built these boats were moved on land over the falls and taken by river to the south where they were used in the war i first boarded at the mess house of the st anthony water power company this mess house was on a straight line with the front door of the exposition building on the river bank all butter and supplies of that nature were brought a long distance and were not in the best of condition when received so this mess house was called by the boarders the soap grease exchange and this was the only appellation it was known by in old st anthony the first sawmills put up in st anthony could saw from thirty to forty logs apiece a day as there were absolutely no places of amusement the men became great wags one of the first things that was established by them was a police court of regulations with dr murphy as judge as there were no sidewalks a stranger would run in and have to pay a fine such as cigars for the crowd if he was found spitting on the sidewalks lawyer whittle was fined two pecks of apples and cigars for wearing a stovepipe hat and so the fun went on day after day mr wells ran for mayor and as there was no opposition the before-mentioned wags decided to have some a colored man named banks had a barber shop that stood up on blocks the boys told him he must run for mayor in opposition they told him he must have a speech so they taught him one which said down 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 and he was to stand in the door and deliver this just as he got to the last down these wags put some timbers under the little building and gently turned it over in the sand it took them a half a day to get it up and everything settled again but at a town where nothing exciting was going on this was deemed worth while if you had half a pint of whiskey in those days and were willing to trade with the indians 
you could get almost anything they had but money meant nothing to them i remember seeing tame buffalo hitched to the red river carts they seemed to have much the same disposition as oxen when they were tame the oxen on the red river carts were much smaller than those of today and dark colored the most carts i remember having seen passing along at one time was about one hundred these carts were not infrequently drawn by cows the drivers were very swarthy generally dressed in buckskin with a bright colored knit sash about the waist and a coonskin cap with a tail hanging down behind or a broad-brimmed hat in fifty one i built the mill at oak river lane was the only white man living there it was right among the winnebagoes they were harmless but the greatest thieves living they came over to our camp daily and would steal everything not nailed down we used to feed them when we had a barrel full of rounds of salt pork by rounds of pork i mean pork that had been cut clear around the hog it just fitted in a big barrel eli salter was cooking for us one night he had just put supper on the table it was bread tea and about twenty pounds of pork about two rounds there were seven of us and just as we were sitting down four squaws came in nowadays they sing all coons look alike to me but at this time all squaws looked alike to us we could never tell one from the other they ate and ate and ate eli said they seemed like rubber women the table was lighted with tallow dips four of them just as salter was going to pick up that pork each squaw like lightning wet her fingers and put out the candles when we got them lighted again them squaws and the pork was together but not where we were we just charged it to profit and loss among them indians was ed the greatest thief of all he had been for years at a school in chicago and had been their finest scholar the indians were all making dugout canoes and found it hard with their tools i had a fine adze and ed stole it i could not make him bring it back i used to feed the chief well and one day i told him ed had stolen my adze he said i'll make him bring it back sure enough the next day at dusk ed sneaked up and thinking no one was looking threw it in a pile of snow about two feet deep we saw him do it so got it at once we never knew how the chief made him do it once when i was building a mill up at rum river we had to go to princeton to get some things so i started i had to pass a camp of those dirty winnebagoes they had trees across for frames and probably two hundred deer frozen and hanging there i was sneaking by but the old chief saw me and insisted on my coming in to eat i declined hard and said i had had my dinner but i knew all the time they knew better i had on a buffalo overcoat and a leather short coat inside in the teepee they had a great kettle of dog soup as it was a feast each one had a horn spoon and all ate out of the kettle they gave me a spoon and i started in to eat i did not touch it but poured it inside my inside coat for a couple of times when i left the chief went and picked out one of the thinnest poorest pieces of venison there was and insisted on my taking it i was disgusted but did not dare refuse a short distance away i threw it in the snow which was about two feet deep off the trail shortly afterward i met the chief's son and was frightened for i thought he would notice the hole and find what i had done i watched him but he was too drunk to notice and as soon as it began to snow i was safe i guess the dogs got it end of chapter five